Aidio er argloid y ddaear, a'i chyflandwyr, y byd, ac y breswylia ynddo. Canes efe a'i seiliodd ar y moroedd, ac a'i sicairoedd ar, ar y rafonydd. Amen. Second reading is Genesis chapter 1, headed in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to, light on, to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening 
and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw, that, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Don't know about you, but um, I love the world that God has created. I like nothing better than traipsing up a mountain and gazing at the vista. You can't beat walking through a bluebell wood beside a flowing stream with birdsong filling the air. There's nothing like a summer Saturday of a few friends hitting a piece of uh, leather with a plank of wood with blue skies overhead and a pavilion bathed in sunlight. Or what about lazing on a sandy beach with the waves lapping on the shore and seagulls circling waiting for a stray chip? I love the world that God has created. I love the athleticism of a tennis player at the peak of their powers the agility of a horse over obstacles, the flexibility of a gymnast, the precision of a golfer, the beauty of the human form. I love the world God has created. But there's a problem, isn't there? And perhaps you find it too, because I'm increasingly being told that I don't love the world God has created enough. My energy tariff isn't green enough. My meat consumption is immoral. My travel leaves a massive carbon footprint. My tea bags have too much plastic in them. I'm not recycling enough. My fashion choices exploit low-paid workers. I'm made to feel guilty. And I may make tiny adjustments, but on the whole, I carry on pretty much as before because it's just too much like hard work. And anyway, things will turn out all right in the end because Jesus is coming back. What does it mean for us to truly love the world which God has created? That's one of the questions we're asking as we embark on this series during Lent. 
perhaps you're quite excited at the prospect. It's about time the church took environmental issues seriously. Perhaps you're concerned that it will just be a recipe for a six-week guilt trip. Perhaps you're feeling quite smug about your own environmental credentials. Or maybe you've switched off already. Whoever you are and whatever your thoughts, this series is just as important as the prayer series which preceded it. Like the prayer series, it's designed to challenge and provoke. Like the prayer series, it will hopefully lead to changes in behaviors and attitudes. And like the prayer series, it definitely isn't designed to induce guilt. Our longing is that we come to see God's world more as he sees it, and to love God's world more as he loves it. So let's be open together as to how he might speak to us, how he might prompt us through sermons, through discussions and studies, through individual stories shared. Our starting point is not what can we do, as Joe's already hinted at. We come on to that a little bit more as the series progresses. But there's a more important question we have to ask ourselves first. And that is not what, but why. Why does it matter how we treat God's world? Well, let's go right back to the beginning. God created it and saw that it was good. Now, that much is true, however you view the first few chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 to 11. Whether you see yourself as a young earth creationist, the fact that creation was in six 24-hour periods, an old earth creationist where the days represent periods of time, however you see the interplay between science and faith, whether you see the account as history or poetry, however you view things, at the heart of Christian faith is this idea of a creator God who I think did a pretty good job. The Genesis account tells us six times God saw that it was good. And just to reiterate, when the creative process was complete, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And if God is pleased with his creation, we should surely share his pleasure and seek to protect and value his work. Let's just have Genesis 1, 26 to 28 on the screen. Heard it read to us. It reminds us that God has given extravagantly to us. And just look at the uh, verbs which are going to be highlighted on the next slide, which remind us of all that God has done. In verse 27, it's reiterated three times, isn't it? God created, God created, God created. God created and he blessed. And in response, he specifically calls humanity to take responsibility for all that he has created. We speak of it as a creation mandate. And we're given a privileged role and responsibility. So the next slide. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Subdue and rule. Over the centuries, humanity's taken those words subdue and rule to mean exploit and plunder. If the natural resources are there, then let's use them. 
extracting fossil fuels, the deforestation of rainforests, much of what's gone on has been seen as for the greater good. There's been economic justification, and the quality of living for some at least has been enhanced. But over the past 20 to 30 years, and especially in the last decade, we've been struck by a frightening reality. We're destroying the world, and our treatment of it is not sustainable. Subdue and rule cannot mean exploit and plunder. The World Economic Forum produces a report, a global risk report, every year. It's primarily looking, as you'd expect, at risks to world economy. If we were to go back 10 years to 2010, the top five risks identified just after the banking crisis were these. Asset price collapse, an economic downturn in China, possibility of chronic disease, fiscal crises, global governance gaps. That was 10 years ago, 2010, the top five risks identified. Let's have a look at the top five risks on the 2020 report published only a couple of months ago. What a change in emphasis. Extreme weather, failure to act in relation to the climate, increased likelihood of natural disasters, biodiversity loss, and then environmental disasters that are actually human-made. The world has woken up to the stark realities of climate change and environmental crisis. We've been forced to accept that the plunder and exploit approach to the earth is not sustainable and that radical action is required. And that's not just an economic concern. It's a matter of justice. And so the subdue and rule of Scripture actually points us away from plunder and exploit to a steward and serve agenda, which reflects God's own attitude towards his creation. He loves his creation with a passion, and his heart breaks over the inequalities and the injustices that we have fashioned. And it's startling, isn't it, that the greatest impact of climate change change is actually on the poorest communities in the world. That's a justice issue. Jesus speaks out time and time again for justice, and we have a moral responsibility to act. One of the resources we're uh, using for this series is uh, this book by Ruth Valerio. If we can have it on the screen as well, please, John. Saying Yes to Life. And in the introduction, she recounts a trip to Fiji for a meeting of bishops from across the Anglican Communion. And in Fiji, the water levels at this time had been uh, rising, forcing populations to relocate. Cyclones had devastated local communities. And one bishop at this gathering said to Ruth, for you Europeans, climate change is a problem for the future. For us, it is a problem of everyday survival. For you Europeans, climate change is a problem for the future. For us, It is a problem of everyday survival. 
If, as Psalm 24 proclaims, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, we must take our charge to rule and subdue seriously, fulfilling that role as caretakers and stewards. And barring a few exceptions, the worldwide church has been quite slow to recognize its responsibilities, and it's been playing catch-up. In recent times, the media has thrust a, a Swedish teenager to center stage to be the voice of conscience. I was one of 20,000 who turned up to hear her on College Green on Friday, or College Brown as it's been renamed. Her voice proclaims concern for the world and its future, for the world and humanity's sake. As a church, we had an extra dimension, that of God's heart for the world. It's for God's sake. In November, Bristol Diocese declared a climate emergency and became the first in the UK to commit to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2030. 20 years earlier than the aims expressed by the National Church. And across the whole church, people are waking up to the challenge and the opportunities that the environmental crisis lays before us. The church's voice needs to be heard, should be at the forefront of these issues, but not just heard, it needs to act. Our PCC, our church council, have already been beginning to explore what actions might need to be taken to secure us an eco-church award as part of a national initiative by Russia. And that's not about jumping on a bandwagon, but aligning ourselves to God's heart for his world. You may remember when I preached on the prayer series uh, back in January, I quoted from his song, Hosanna, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom cause. That line was relevant then, and it's just as relevant today and in this time as we think about issues of creation care, as we seek God's heart for his world. And if I'm totally honest, I've still got a long way to go myself in working out what it means for me in, in practical terms. But I'm committed to exploring further. There's a simple tool, tool to help us, which has been produced by the Church of England. It's uh, again going to appear on the screen. If you've uh, got a phone with you, you may like to uh, find it. It's uh, an app, or you can get paper copies as well, um, an app called Live Lent. And you can uh, download the app very easily uh, onto your phone, or you can um, sign up for daily emails. And within those emails or through the app, each day there is a brief reading from Scripture, there's a reflection on that piece of Scripture, and then there's a suggested action. And although we're a few days into Lent, you're not too late to sign up for that. And it's very practical and really gets us thinking about the issues involved. For some, this whole topic induces either guilt or fear. Guilt, I'm not doing enough. Or perhaps fear of the future, future for ourselves, future for our children, our grandchildren, future generations. Or maybe a fear that we might actually need to make sacrifices that we won't be comfortable with. Reminded, aren't we, in Scripture that God's perfect love drives out fear and helps us to love as he loves us. As we begin this season of Lent, Lent is traditionally a time for reflection and soul-searching 
as we build towards the ultimate and the most far-reaching in self-sacrificial acts of all time, in Jesus on the cross. And so there's actually no better time to ask ourselves what God might be saying to us on this great issue of our day. I do love the world God has created, but I want to love it more. What might it mean to love that same world in everyday practical ways? I hope that we'll all join in that exploration over these next few weeks and get a sense of what is on God's heart and what it might mean for us, both as individuals and as a worshipping community. Amen.